8.17. Now, when tens of thousands of taxi drivers gathered at Guanghua Moon Square last week to protest against Kakao's planned private taxi service, it drew sympathy from those who realised the modest livelihood of these drivers is at stake, but also frustration among those who want the full Uber-style experience here in this country. Online ride-hailing platforms, they, they link registered non-commercial vehicle owners to passengers, if you're not aware, potentially at a price cheaper than a regular taxi, even if we already do have low-cost taxis in Korea. And it's hard to imagine a, a single ride being lower than 3,001. Um, but with Kakao's new app already attracting over 50,000 downloads from Play Store users just wanting to register themselves before its official launch, obviously there is demand there. Let's get a comparison with a city that's gone through its own challenges. Joe Castiglione is San Francisco County Transportation Authority's Deputy Director for Technology, Data and Analysis and the lead author of a report on the impact of these taxi alternatives. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for having us. Uh, for having me. Um, and, and what's the situation in San Francisco? Is it um, a situation where Uber dominates, or are there several ride-hailing companies that compete quite well? Sure, there are two primary uh, ride-hailing companies that operate in San Francisco: uh, Uber and Lyft. And they both have, uh, from all we can tell, relatively significant uh, mo- um, you know, market shares. And the and the way these work, they don't have to go through the same regulations as official taxi companies, much like Airbnb users don't have to be vetted in the same way that hotels have to. Does, does that give them an unfair advantage? Well, historically in San Francisco, uh, the taxi industry was limited. The number of taxis that could operate at any one time was limited to, I think, just under about 2,000 vehicles. Um, which was, of course, you know, very beneficial to the taxis. Um, with the arrival of TNCs, they became regulated not by the city, which is uh, the city of San Francisco had historically regulated taxis, but rather by a, a California state uh, public utilities commission. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, they there was a significant uh, increase in the number of vehicles out there driving. We put out a report last year called TNCs Today that estimated that uh, there are about 12 to 15 times as many of these ride-hailing vehicles on the streets at any given time uh, as there were taxis. Wow. So the idea of not driving your own car, in theory, is supposed to lower congestion and therefore pollution, but you're seeing quite the opposite effect. Well, that's right. And, you know, there had been a lot of theories that uh, ride-hailing could decrease congestion. Uh, and how would that happen? Well, if people, uh, if there were more people traveling in each vehicle, that the vehicle occupancy would be higher, then you'd have fewer, carry, uh, fewer vehicles carrying the same number of people. Um, or if uh, the ride-hail uh, vehicles could take people to transit, that they might not, you know, might be too far for them to get to transit, so it would facilitate transit in that use, uh, in that way. Uh, or, you know, there's even been theories that uh, by having these vehicles available, it might cause people to say, hey, I don't need two cars or even one car. I can get by, you know, if I need a ride, I'll just hail one of these vehicles. Uh, and by virtue of that, then I'm more, you know, disinclined to make car trips. I'll be taking more walk trips and more bike trips and more transit trips. Um, but on the other hand, they could increase congestion because, you know, these vehicles aren't always carrying a passenger. Oftentimes they're deadheading, you know, basically out of service, but still driving around. 
um, or because they are, uh, for many people, more convenient than taking transit. Uh, you know, they can be faster because it's taking you directly from your uh, origin to your destination, uh, or it could be faster because it's faster than walking, that that would increase the amount of vehicles uh, that are on the streets. Um, and then finally, you know, they can increase congestion because oftentimes, uh, in San Francisco at least, we see vehicles um, pulling over and kind of interrupting traffic flow to either allow passengers to get in or out, and that, that too could increase congestion. And, and the net effect that we found was, um, you know, we used a very detailed TNC data set, that, a ride-hail data set that we have, as well as INRIX, which is kind of a big data vendor of travel speeds globally, and we looked at uh, changes over time and the relationship between where the ride hail trips were happening and changes in congestion. And we found of the congestion has gotten much worse in San Francisco. And of that worsening, we attribute about half to ride hail uh, trips. And the other half is due to the significant employment and population growth uh, that we've had in the city. But, you know, the effects are not the same across the entire city. There are certain areas in the downtown core, for example, where the effects are much more pronounced, and there are certain times of day, uh, you know, in the peaks um, and in the evening as well, when we see increases in congestion. When I think of San Francisco, I immediately um, am drawn to the image of those old-fashioned cable cars moving up and down very steep streets. How does San Francisco's almost unique geography play into this? Uh, you know, in other words, how far can we draw comparisons with other cities around the world? Well, I think that, you know, we have seen, as I mentioned a moment ago, that the effects are disproportionately occurring in the most congested parts of the city. Uh, oftentimes, those parts of the city are relatively easy to get around, you know, by walking or taking transit. While in other parts of the city of San Francisco, there are very little effects where they're much less densely populated. While San Francisco does have some kind of unique geographic effects uh, or attributes uh, and unique um, travel modes such as cable cars, I think some of the lessons that we have seen or learned from what's happening in San Francisco are applicable. And in fact, in other cities like New York City and Manhattan, for example, uh, they have seen it after many years of increasing, uh, for example, subway ridership. Uh, as uh, the ride-hail companies arrived, suddenly the subway ridership started to drop, even though Manhattan has itself experienced uh, increases in population and employment. So I think that there are lessons that are transferable to other uh, cities around the world. Yeah, we've we got many more taxi drivers here in Seoul than San Francisco did when uh, it was operating under the limitations you said before. But uh, presumably, it's a similar story elsewhere as well when you've got traditional drivers unhappy about these new services, yet consumer demand is driving them. How are city authorities supposed to deal with that? Well, that's a good question, and and I should say, you know, I use ride-hailing, uh, uh, certainly, um, uh, because there are times when it is the most convenient and attractive option. Uh, you know, the fact that you can, from your smartphone, uh, have a driver show up uh, at your door in oftentimes a matter of just a few minutes and take you directly to your destination, and as a, I think you mentioned in some of your earlier comments, oftentimes for a price that is cheaper than a traditional taxi would be. I think it's it's very compelling to people. Um, I think that there are challenges, though, because while I or other travelers, we might say, well, for, for this individual trip, uh, I, it was a little faster for me, more convenient for me. If congestion is increasing overall as a result of all of these individuals making trips, 
um, there are some costs, you know, uh, whether it's lost travel time to all of those other people, uh, and some of those people may be drivers, but some of them may be sitting in buses and traffic. So I think we do try and, you know, I think we have a responsibility to try and look at both the costs and the benefits. With respect to, you know, specific policy solutions or investments, um, you know, I'd like to say that we look to our board, uh, who are elected officials, um, to kind of provide us with the direction uh, that they think their constituencies are looking for with respect to specific policies. But one of our goals is to really try and provide um, actual facts and data Mm. so that they can make informed decisions. Because in this space, there's a lot of, as I mentioned earlier in my comments, a lot of kind of theories about what might might happen or could happen or the future will hold. Um, But in reality, we have some real challenges that we're facing today, and we won't really be able to understand how to respond to them without real data. Thank you very much, Joe Castiglione. Good to have you with us. It's a pleasure speaking with you.